Welcome to the SJBC Sunday Morning Sermon. We hope you enjoy this message brought to you by our senior pastor, Dr. Richard Carver. For more podcasts, videos, and information on our church, please visit mysjbc.org. in your pew pew bottle, but I want you to go to um, Acts uh, chapter 7 for just a minute, page 889 there in your pew bottle. This song that we just sang, that the Lord is our salvation, and it says, even when I come to the end of my way, He won't leave me in the grave. And we're thinking today about God as our help, and I want to give you something that we uh, learned Wednesday evening as we were doing our Bible study from Romans. We were talking about uh, Christ and His power, and, and we were looking at the, the, the killing, the murdering of Stephen. When you look at the life of Saul, uh, in that Saul before he became Paul was a rejecter of Christians in Christ. If you look in uh, Acts chapter seven, page uh, eight eighty nine, there in your pew Bible, Acts chapter seven, verse uh, fifty four, we find in Scripture that when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him because Stephen had been preaching. Uh, the gospel through the salvation of Jesus Christ. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And we, we stopped at that word standing. We know that Jesus is seated in, at His throne in heaven. Scripture tells us that He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And I had a church member uh, call me on the way home Wednesday evening uh, and said that me sharing that, or that, the sharing of that, that understanding that Jesus stood and walked over to the edge of the portal of heaven and Stephen was about to lose his, lose his life, that Jesus left that seated position. Now we see Jesus standing in other places in Scripture. But this is at the death of someone. And so the person who called me asked, when our loved ones die, does Jesus perceive them in the same way? And I want to say yes. Because Jesus told the thief on the cross, today, You'll be with me in paradise. Today, I'll be greeting you in heaven. So I want to encourage us that God is our help. And that's what we're thinking about today. In this song that we just sang, that, that even when we come to the end of our way, God is still helping. And He helps us from this life into the next life. And, and as we live this life, there's times in life when we look out into the future, and it can seem pretty bleak sometimes. If you look at it and you don't see any safe way forward or any sure way to, to go, like if you graduate from college and there's no or high school, there's no job on the horizon, or if you have to get to, at the end of all things and then you get laid off from your job just right near when it's time to retire. Or maybe your son or daughter or grandchild is heedless of the fire that they're playing with, participating in whatever they're doing. I mean, that, those are bleak futures. Or a terrible decision that has to be made, or perhaps just consuming depression because things aren't right in your life or not as you hope that they would turn out. And there are sometimes in life when we look forward and, and, and there's just no way forward. We don't know what to do. I mean, sometimes we have to move away from everyone that we've known and loved. And we're thinking about retiring to what? I don't know if you saw the news this week. 
people that have been investing in 401ks, they're saying now, if, if you thought you were going to retire in 2023, they're saying, no, now it's probably going to be 2027. This era just tacked four years on your retirement because of all that we've come through. I mean, sometimes there's a terrible diagnosis. I mean, sometimes we stand on the horizon of our future and we don't see any safe way forward. And we don't know which way to go, where to turn. What do you tell yourself when you're in that situation and there's just no way forward that you can see? Now, a lot of times we tell ourselves things that are useless. And there and we won't make a list of them, but we tell ourselves things that are just a waste of time. So the important question is, what do you tell yourself that's true when the future doesn't look promising? Now, we need to prepare for times like that because we're all going to go into it. We're all going to reach places in our life when the future just doesn't look very glamorous, when it might even be frightening. So we have to be prepared. And honestly, we need a song to sing. Yeah. A song to carry in our hearts. A song to propel us through. And Psalm 121 is a great song to learn to sing. I told Mike Wednesday night, as we got here uh, Saturday to prepare for distributing the popsicles and inviting people to church, he was up here in the, in the uh, sanctuary rehearsing. And he was rehearsing the old Squire Parsons song called Beulah Lane. Yeah. You may know that song. And, and I could hear him singing as we were busy in the, the kitchen and getting ice and coolers and getting everything together. And, and I could hear him up here singing that. And I didn't want to interrupt him because I was afraid he might stop. And so I went at the steps that, that come up into the sanctuary right here. And I sat like on the third step from the bottom. I sat on the step and Stephanie stood across from me and we listened to Mike rehearse for probably... 15 or 20 minutes. Praise the Lord. Wanted to shout the whole time, but couldn't because we didn't want it to stop. We need songs to sing. You need something to sing when it's not very bleak outside. Psalm 121 is probably one of the best love songs in all of Scripture. And it's familiar to you because it begins with the phrase in the King James says, I lift up my eyes into the hills. Hills aren't very high. The New International Version translated as mountains. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. And then the writer asks, where does my help come from? Looking off into the future, all I see are obstacles. When I look out ahead of me, all I see are mountains in my way. Where is my help going to come from? When you're told you don't have a job anymore, when you get that diagnosis, when you're standing at the edge of a tomorrow that you really don't want to step into. I mean, what does the writer mean when he said, I lifted my eyes to the mountain? I'm going to tell you, Stephanie, I enjoy the mountain. We try to go every year in the fall to see the leaves. When we can, we're going to go this year to try to see some leaves. And, and mountains feel strong to me. But the truth is, they're not alive. I mean, yes, there's vegetation on the, the mountains, but the mountains themselves are lifeless. It's just piles of dirt and rock that are out there for us to look at. And perhaps the, the psalmist saw the mountains as obstacles on his journey ahead, thinking, how will I ever get through this? 
ever be able to cross over that. But whatever he meant, he knew that the mountains were not the answer. As big as they were. When he lifted his eyes to the mountains, he said, My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. There's a huge obstacle out in front of me. There, it looks like mountains to me. Where can I get any kind of help for what's out there ahead of me? And he said, God, He is my helper. <laughs> the application of the psalm in part is that we would trust God in uncertain times. The psalm is about helping us be prepared for when the day comes, when the tomorrow looks bleak. When the next day looks like a day that you don't want to go through or enter into. And we need to know this psalm well enough to pray it naturally when we need it naturally. That the psalm is a psalm that's sung back to us. And I'll explain here in just a moment. It's almost like a, an, a choir singing to us from this psalm. So join me in Psalm 121, page 500 here in your Pew Bible in verse 1. The psalmist writes, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber, and he who, who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade and your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. What I want you to see is verse 1, verse 3, verse 5, and verse 7. If you have your Bible, you can see, you won't be able to see it on the, the slides. But most of you, you have a statement in a, a dash after the statement. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. But listen to what verse 3, 5, and 7 say. Here are three truths. He will not let your foot slip. The Lord watches over you. The Lord will keep you from all harm. As you're peering at the mountains, there's a dash. You know, the most important dash that all of us have is the dash that's between our birthday and our death day. That dash that we see on tombstones represents the whole of that individual's life. And when you think about that dash, the scripture tells us that life is short and it passes ever so quickly. Just like a dash. But inside that dash, there are mountains and valleys. There are joys and sorrows. There's love and bitterness. But there's always a God who God. A God who never lets your foot slip. A God who watches over you. And a God who will never let harm come into your life. It's important that we actually use this psalm in our daily life. And, and this psalm, if you look at it carefully, it portrays a dangerous journey. I mean, there's treacherous mountains out in front of us. And it's a journey that, that is made in both day and night. So you're not just traveling in the day. You're not just traveling in the night. So it helps us understand that this journey is about all the time. And it can be dangerous sometimes. It's a journey that's not for faint-hearted or small-faith people. It's a journey where you're going to need help. 
It's a journey where if you don't have help, you're going to get lost. We had big cornfields growing up. And I know this sounds crazy, but I got lost in the cornfield when I was about five or six years old. Now, to a five or six-year-old kid in a, I don't know, 10-12 acre cornfield, it's a scary place. The corn was way over my head. Now, my grandfather and father who planted that field of corn knew that it was only a certain size. But all I knew is I walked up to the edge and I went in. I couldn't get out. I mean, I, I couldn't get out. And I was stuck in that field of corn for, seemed like, hours to me. And I was crying. My mama was picking blackberries. And she heard me crying, picking blackberries, and she had a sweat rag wrapped around her head, and she looked like an Arab coming in and with buckets and berry stains on her hands. But I could hear her moving through that field of corn. She said, Bubby, Bubby. She called me Bubby. I'm coming, Bubby. Don't move. And she could hear me crying and wail. You know, to this day, I'm still afraid of cornfields. <laughs> I mean, when it comes time to pick corn, I'll pick it on the edge. I ain't going out to the middle. Because I might not be able to get out. That's what I feel like sometimes. That you know it's only so big. That there is an end to it. Man, that corn is tall. It's over our head. And you dare not push any of it down. Because that's food that's going on the table and time to harvest. So we pray as we're in this journey, we're needing help, perhaps even lost. And so we pray, where's my help today? Because that mountain is right there. And you've all been there. Some mountains are smaller than others. Some are ginormous mountains. But then lifting our eyes above the mountains, we answer our own question. Looking above the, the thing out there that's striking us, and we say that my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And notice how the word Lord is spelled there. It's in all capital letters. That, that's of significance. There's the word Lord with a lowercase l, and it means someone who's a leader of people, someone who has responsibility. There's a Lord with a capital L, and generally that word refers to uh, Elohim or Adonai in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, what we would call Savior and Lord like Jesus Christ and God. But then there's the word Lord that's with all capital letters like it is here. That's God's covenant name being used to. That's the name Yahweh. Remember Moses asked Jesus when the fire and the burning bush? Praise God. When God was commissioning him to set the Israelites free, Moses asked, Who shall I say is sending me? And it's translated, You tell them that I am is sending you. But they're translating, <clears throat> all capital L O R D, which is Yahweh. This is God's covenant name that is now given to you because of your faith in Jesus Christ. And it is God who is our helper. 
that He comes to us when we need help. And it's God who <clears throat> has made promises to us. And it's He that really is the husband to us. And we're the bride. We're the church. And we're the ones to whom He has promised that, that we're His people. And He's our God. And what's more, this person, this deity, this God right here is the maker of heaven and earth. He's the maker of where I am. And He's the maker of where I will be. Of heaven and earth. He's the maker of both. The maker of this realm, of this world where you live now. And He's the maker of the realm where you will live when you leave here. If you know Christ as your Savior and Lord. That means He's the creator and sustainer of this realm and the realm to come. He's the creator and sustainer of our earth. And he's the creator and sustainer of our heaven. And the implication is that we're seeking help from the one who could most certainly give it. Because if he made all of this and made all of that, there's nothing about all of this and nothing about all of that that he is not fully aware of. Because he made it. And he's the one who can bend nature to his will. I love the image when, when Jesus is on the boat and it's being rocked by the storm. And he says, Peace. Be still. And it's, the, the storm stopped. It quit. It became dead calm. The sea of Galilee was like a piece of glass. Because he just said, Peace. He could be in nature. There's a scene in Scripture. Where the, the battle was raging and the Israelites needed the, the battle to go longer. And Moses couldn't hold the staff up anymore and his arms were becoming weak. And they came alongside him and held his arms up so the battle could rage on. And the sun did not set so the battle could rage on. He could be nature. The man with the blind eyes. Jesus took and spit in the ground and made some mud. And put that mud in that blind man's eye. And old Bartimaeus said, I see! Because Jesus bent nature. Praise the Lord. This is the God who bends nature. The man who had the shriveled arm. Jesus said, heal. And his arm grew. Jairus came to Jesus and said, my daughter is dead. Or dying. She's 12 years old. And he told Jesus, I know you don't have to come. You can just speak it and it will happen. Jesus told Jairus, I've never seen this kind of faith. And he says, it is so. Yeah. And hundreds of miles away, Jairus' daughter, 12 years old, was restored. He can bend nature to his will. God can take the darkest day and cast light into it. He can pierce the darkness. John 1 says that the darkness couldn't comprehend it, couldn't get his mind around it because God was bright. He can bring water from dry ground and send bread from heaven. And I learned last week from Tammy that God can make honey come out of the rock. He can bend nature. That's your God. 
And so when we lift up our eyes and see the mountain before us, and then we lift up our eyes even higher, we know that God can bend this, whatever it is, to meet His will. The maker of the universe guards you, me, your children and grandchildren. Now this song, a second voice begins to sing. And I stopped there so that you might catch it. A brief pause. But if you did, the words switch from your in verse 1 and 2, or from my in verse 1 and 2, to the word your in verse 3. In verse 1 and 2, you're the one talking. You're the one that's looking out into your uncertain future and seeing nothing but mountains. And you're at, you are asking, where's my help going to come from? And you know that only God can provide the help you need. With that realization, in verse 3, you have an encourager to come alongside you. And this is the choir. This is where people are singing to you to encourage you, to lift you up. You speaking to yourself and then others speaking to you. I mean, imagine you're facing a rugged journey and you've told yourself, my help comes from the Lord. And so you come to church. My help comes from the Lord. There's church folk over in that building on Sunday morning at 1040 and I'm going to go over there where church folk are. Because just maybe I might run into God there too. You get to church and through the song, through the fellowship, the hug, yeah. Loretta came to the door. Her heart was broken over losing Don. I mean, he's a man of valiant faith. His whole family is people of faith. There's no doubt in anyone's mind that today Don is with the Lord. But it still hurts. And she dropped her head and said, yeah. Rough day. It was a rough day. It always is. But when you come to church, you <coughs> sing a song, you have a fellowship, you get the handshake, the pat on the back, the hug, and you have preaching, teaching, Sunday school. Your brothers and sisters, they come together to fortify the faith. Austin Jessica, when they were younger, got into the army. And we had a conversion van. We bought it up here at, on Dixon. And uh, we had a Dodge van and flipped it over. And, uh, and so we were going to go buy a new van. We found we get a big conversion van for the same price as a Dodge van. This is in the early 90s. And so we went to Cook and Reeves and bought a conversion van. It was nice. It had a button. You could lay the seat down in the back. That's where we made our kids wear seatbelts. And, you know, they kids would lay back there and sleep. And it was grand. One day the kids got into a fuss. And I mean, it was absurd. I mean, they were like really being unkind to each other. And they were on some backcountry road between the house and school, and they were going at it. I mean, not getting, but man, they were hot. Getting on each other. I mean, both of them about to cry. Stephanie slammed on the brakes. Of course, the kids come because they didn't see those ones. They come flying out of the seats and smack out of those captain's chairs and smack in the seats in front of them. And then Stephanie turned into the devil. And she said, What's the matter with you all? Don't you know that they 
to all you have for each other. <laughs> Folks, when we come in here, all we have is each other. Amen. We're, bro we're brothers and sisters. When we come to the end of the journey, who are you going to call? My brothers and sisters. When you need help, had a church member call yesterday. Said, Brother Richard, I got a question for you. You can talk to So I called him back and left a message. Said, I'm back home now. They called me and Mr. called me and left a message. Said, Will you, will you call me? <laughs> then we had to ask a question. Had a visit together over the phone. You know, we, all we have is each other. And when we got questions, when we need serious answers, who do you call? You call your brothers and sisters. We're brothers and sisters. And we fortify each other's faith. And when we do that, we assure each other of God's help. To begin with, tells us that God will not let your foot slip. Now the journey is treacherous. It's treacherous. And one slip in the journey of life could be treacherous. Could be catastrophic. And the sense is that, 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 that one slip and we might fall to our death or even fall from the grip of God. But he says, I will not let that happen. And they're telling us, this is our brothers and sisters, maybe even angels singing to us. But they, that'll never happen. The Lord won't let that happen. And this is not a promise that we'll never sin. It's not a promise that, that our faith will never falter because our faith will falter and we will sin. But the promise here is that we will not slip away from the Lord. It's a promise that your soul is saved. Mm -hmm. Now, do you see that your steps are guarded by the maker of heaven and earth? Every step that you take in every day of your life, I've always loved the song that promises his eye is on the sparrow. I know he watches this. That God's eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. And he watches you. The specific promise here is of God's constant vigilance. Verses 3 and 4 says, He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber indeed. He who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. I never thought about God sleeping. I mean, I thought about God laughing. There's times when you get images of God chuckling with laughter in Scripture. I never thought about God sleeping. And I'm glad I never thought about it because He doesn't. This passage, this phrase, says that He watches over or keeps us no, it appears six times in this passage. And really it's the main point of God's care. The word means simply more than just watching. When Scripture says that God watches over you, it means that He protects, that He guides, that He blesses, that He who protects and He who guides and He who blesses you never slumbers. He never dozes off. He never gets distracted. He watches you and watches you. Protects you. And just as He cares personally for you and for me, He cares for all His beloved children. Israel, we're all in Israel. And all who have put their trust in Him. 
I was reminded yesterday. You know why the Lord's Prayer says, Our Father? Jesus is praying. You'd think He'd say, My Father, who art in heaven. But in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus doesn't say, My Father, who art in heaven. He says, Our Father, who art in heaven. Do you know what Jesus says, Our Father? God's got a lot of kids. And you're suffering. And as God's kid, his child, he's your father. He's watching over you. And you've known some dark nights. I have. Sometimes in our sleepless restlessness, we can't let go of the worry. Have you ever had a night like that when you go to bed, but your, your watch tells you you slept, but you really didn't? Because all night you were like in this world in between awake and asleep where you couldn't get your mind off of it. Where it just kept rolling over and rolling over. And you just worried and fretted and thought about whatever it was that was robbing your sleep from you. You've had those sleepless, restless nights. And you can't find any hope. If you can find hope, you can lay the worry aside. But you turn it so many times that you can't find hope, and so you can't turn it off. And so you just get up, turn on the coffee pot, because you can't sleep. In times like that, when the nights seem frightening and endless, the best thing to do is to learn a short little phrase. God has a phone number. I don't know if you know that or not. It's Jeremiah 33.3. Says, call unto me and I will hear an answer. That's God's phone. Call me. Yes. Just call me. So there's some little phrases that we can that can help us that we can just utter in the night. A little phrase like, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. When the worry is overwhelming, when the burden is so great you can't even take a full breath. You can still say, the Lord is my shepherd. Mm -hmm. We can say phrases like, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. We can say phrases like this, he will not let my foot slip. He won't let my foot slip. I got this going on tomorrow. But he won't let my foot slip because he who watches over me never slumbers. Never dozes off. So I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. So will your maker let your foot slip? No, he will not let your foot slip. Will he doze off when you're in trouble? No. He will not doze off when you're in trouble because he who watches over you never slumbers. In verses 3 and 4, we're assured of God's vigilance. In verses 5 and 6, we're assured of his watch care. Now, watch care is a, a church word. You won't find that in Scripture. But the Lord watches over you. He says, The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The psalmist will tell us a little bit about this journey. It's a journey that happens in the day and the night, whether it's in the day or the night, that both times are threatening. It's threatening in the day, it's threatening in the night. You can imagine the blistering heat, 
I saw where Death Valley broke a record yesterday for the month of September. On the 3rd of September, Death Valley was hotter than it's ever been, 127 degrees yesterday. That's pretty hot. Sometimes the heat of life feels 127 degrees. And when it begins to blister because of the heat, as you're traveling through life, you're beginning to feel parched and thirsty. Sunburned with no shade or oasis in sight. You struggle on. But for God's people, that's not how it is. It might be that way for all the other travelers through life. But as God's child, the Lord is your shade at your right hand. Listen. The Lord watches over you. He cares about you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. That word shade can also be translated as shadow. David wrote about shadows in Psalm 63.7. He said, Because you are my help, because he is the God who helps, I sing in the shadow of your wings. That means that the Lord is close at hand. I mean, he's very nearby. Unseen though he may be, <laughs> His very shadow is your sunscreen from the blistering sun and the heat of life. When God led Israel, we get into this scripture, when God led Israel out of Egypt, one of His ongoing miracles that happened every single day and every single night was that they were always guided. During the daytime, they were guided by a cloud. And at nighttime, they were guided by a pillar of fire. But whether it was day or whether it was night, and that means that they were moving in the day following the cloud, and they were moving in the night following the pillar of fire. So that moving, whether day or night, God was right there. And who would dare attack those people? Nobody. Because there's a pillar of fire at night moving, and there's a cloud moving. And the people are noisy and tired. Nobody's going to try to ambush them. I mean, we don't see that cloud of fire anymore when we are in the night of life. The scripture says God is still guarding us. God doesn't need the fire to guard you. He's there. He's always there. You see the word harm in verse 6 and 7? That word harm means evil in Hebrew. There's a kind of evil that's a danger to our souls. It's a real danger. And honestly, it's relentless. Especially in the heat of the journey. But it's also relentless on moonlit nights. Now God, or the writer, is not literally just talking about the sun and the moon. The writer's talking about this kind of evil that lurks in the day. And the kind of evil that prowls around at night. There's an evil when we're in the sunshine of life. And there's an evil when we're in the darkest places of our life. This evil that lurks, he's a danger to your soul 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And it doesn't stop. He's a peril to you on your journey. The danger of wearing out, of exhaustion, of night terrors, they're very real. 
That's why Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And so this is how we let our gentleness be evident to all. And he said, because the Lord is near. He's where the sheep shadow, casting the shadow of protection at our right hand. No harm will come. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Verse 6, Paul writes, and you let your gentleness be evident by, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, tell God about it. To present your request to God. <laughs> present. Did you know if we read this word in another sentence, it might say, present? God is encouraging you to give to Him from you the things that make you angry. And God says, I'll take it. Present it to me. Give it to me. He says, and when you do, the peace of God, which will blow your mind away, that transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So remember, our help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. And what did he do for his children who are worrisome in the journey? Well, he watches over you every hour, every day. He's your shade in your right hand. No sunbeam will harm you, no moon by night. And we're sure that neither the blistering or exhausting heat of the day or the sinister things of the night will ever endanger us. Verses 3 and 4 assures of God's vigilance. 5 and 6 of his watch care. Now verse 7 and 8 assures of God's faithfulness. Because he is the God who helps. He helps. Nor never promise freedom from trouble. But God does promise to keep us from the evil that could destroy our souls. And so when verse 7 says he'll watch over your life, that word life could also be translated as soul. The troubles that you face could easily have torn your faith from you. And we know people who have experienced difficulties in life and it just ripped their faith right out of them. And you face the things that could have ripped your faith out of you. But it didn't. You may have felt it tearing away. Want to throw your hands up, saying, God, where are you? But you never let go, not fully. Verse 7 says, He watched over your life, your soul. God prevented that from happening. And what good would life be if we gained the whole world and yet lost our soul? Don't you love that last night? The last line says, both now and forevermore. Both today and all the days after today. And all the days that lead into and through forever. I'm working on a series of sermons for starting on the 18th. And thinking about both now and forevermore, jogging our memory of Revelation chapter 7. Revelation 7 verse 15 says, There... Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. These are the people that have lost their life after the rapture, the tribulation. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. <laughs> this is what it says in Revelation. 
The sun will not be down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He'll lead them into springs of living water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. When those who have come out of the great tribulation, when they've come out, they have their robes washed white, made white by the blood of the Lamb, and they're gathered before God's throne. Psalm 127, verse 7, 121, verse 7 says, The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Psalm 121 was written thousands of years before Revelation 7 is going to come to be. He's God's the same then, and He's the same tomorrow. If He watched over you then, He's going to watch over you there. And all the way through. And this is fulfilled in our days and lives. And this is fulfilled when we're called home to be with the Lord. See, God is our help. As our instrumentals come, a young woman has been going to see a psychiatrist, wrestling with her hands in her mind. And the doctor, in their business, he had reached a place where he, he determined that, that she was a wife and a mother of three children. And they would occasionally talk about her being a wife and a mother of three children. And so the psychiatrist asked the mother, which of your three children do you love the most? And she said, well, I love them all the same. He said, you mean to tell me that, that you don't love one of your children any more than the other? That's not possible. If you don't tell me which child you love more than all the others, then we're going to end this session right here. She thought, she began to break down, and she cried a bit. And she said, all right, I don't love all my children the same. You're right. When one of my children is sick, I love that child more. When one of my children is in trouble, when they're having pain, I love that child more. When one of my children is confused and lost on their way, I love that child more. When one of my children is bad, and I mean really bad, I love that child more. He said, she said, you're right, doctor. I do love my children more than the other. But only with these exceptions. That's the Christian faith. That's where we are. That's what Psalm 121 is. That, that God knows and loves you just as you are. And He knows and loves all the other human beings that are alive on this planet while we are. And He loves us all the same. But Psalm 21, 121 says, He loves us all the same, but with this <laughs> exception. When you're sick or hurting, when you're lost or confused, when you're in pain or depraved, He loves you even more. When I look at the mountain in front of me and ask, where does my help come from? He's the God of God. If I lift up my eyes into the hills, where will my help come from? 
My help will come from the God of hell. Let's stand together. <coughs>
love that doesn't know the Lord that they got sin. It took her about three minutes. Got rid of all of them. Next Sunday, I'll be preaching uh, God, He is worthy. We forget that He's worthy. We just saw someone cross from death to life. Praise the Lord. And, uh, praise His name. Praise His name. Go on, God's grace and peace. Next Sunday, we hope we have a bunch of crop of people. If we don't, bring somebody with you. Uh, just go out the street and grab and bring them. <laughs> God bless you. Let's go in His grace and peace. Mike, can you dismiss?